You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello and welcome to Garibaldi Red, the Nottingham Forest podcast, Nottinghamshire Live. My name is Matt Davis, hosting as usual, and I'm delighted to be joined by former Nottingham Forest Academy manager Nick Marshall as we do something a little bit different today during the international break. So we're going to talk to Nick about his career in the game and his time at Forest. Nick, good morning. Are you well? I'm very well, thank you, Matt. How are you? Yes, not too bad. Although I did say, uh, people who listen to this podcast regularly will know I have just constant chaos in my life. And after <laughs> finishing at 1am 1, 1 last night or that, yes, this morning, um, my son was coughing, COVID test, mad scramble, forgot what time this interview was and bombard you with unnecessary WhatsApp messages. So so sorry about that. But it's good to have you with us. Uh, no problem. Um, so... I'm going to do something a bit different to start with and play a video with your former boss, Paul Hart, which explains your um, importance to Nottingham Forest. So fans will be put a little bit more in the the picture about you if they're a little bit unfamiliar. So it's a couple of minutes long. So if you'll indulge me, Nick, and watch this, and then I'll ask you a few questions off the back of it. I just recognised, you know, in some of the CPD things that we did, he asked a few questions and looked interested and he was I, I, I was also aware that he'd just left university. Through that uh, last year, that was 96-97, uh, um, I kept an eye on him and when things at Leeds, uh, although we won the FA Youth Cup that year, when things were taking a, a turn which I didn't like um, and the opportunity to join Nottingham Forest came along, I jumped at it. I knew what was happening because I, I was close to Howard Wilkinson and I knew there was going to be big changes at youth development level. And um, uh, I had in my mind uh, a vision for my staff, which would take two to three years to complete. But um, uh, the main one was Nick Marshall, who was very, very bright. I recognised that administration was going to be a big part of youth development going forward. And I employed him on that basis to uh, to allow myself and uh, my coaching staff, and as I said, Nick was a good coach as well, but uh, allow us to get where I felt our strengths were, which was uh, with the kids on the grass. So consequently, I approached Nick and uh, asked him to come in as uh, in that role. And fortunately for us, he... Uh, he agreed because of him, we went from strength to strength. I employed him as academy manager when I moved up to manager. Uh, it was uh, absolutely no contest. He, uh, I put him there. He he kept the formula and uh, and we developed, we carried on developing uh, young, young players. We were ahead of the game in many things at Nottingham Forest. First person to really, uh, first club to have an administrator in that position, first club to have unbelievable educational uh, process going on. And uh, Nick's intelligence uh, stands him out from other people. Uh, as a coach, he's warm, he's giving, he, uh, he understands players, all round, he's, we had great fun. I mean, the big part of what we did at Nottingham Forest with the staff and everything was we enjoyed it. We enjoyed ourselves and he was a big part of that also. You joined Forest in a 2001, I think. Obviously, Paul brought you in. Is that, that right? No, no. I, I, I was academy manager in 2001. I, he, he, I joined when Paul came. So, 1997, I think it was. Mm. Um, yeah. When you... You, you listen to that, obviously, kind words from, from Paul. Um, what was he like to work for? Because you hear that everyone talk, all the players talked about him talking that he was, you know, inspirational, brilliant, but also pretty hard on you in a, in a good way. What was it like as one of his coaching staff? Yeah, that, that would be a, a good description of him. Listen, Paul is a genius. Uh, in terms of youth development, I'm, I'm not sure there's many people who can match his achievements. Uh, he was also a very, very good manager. Uh, but he, he wasn't always easy to work for. But I'd say that in a really, really good way. So he demanded high standards. He was really, really, you know, big on that across the board. 
you know, he would he would bring the coaching staff in and in, in the schoolboy section, which I was running at the time when I first joined there. And if the balls weren't pumped up properly, he brought them all back in and, and gave them a bit of a rollicking. And then obviously I was in charge of him, so gave me a rollicking. Uh, but he was absolutely right, by the way. He was completely right. I, I mean, I learned so much from him in terms of well, all all parts of the game, not just not just the football stuff, but in terms of you know how to be as a person. Uh, so he was tough, but I've got to say also he was. He was. He had his tough moments, and he, you know, he, actually, when I first spoke to him down at the city ground when he offered me the job, he said, "I'm always easy, easy to work for," and he was right. But what he was also very, very good was also very, very good at backing you. You know, he. he, he I, I had a phone call once from uh, from Brendan Rogers, uh, and like he'd gone down to do a, a presentation down at for the for, I think it was for the FA at the time on on his on, on being an academy manager. And he spent a lot, Brendan told me he spent a lot of the time talking about me, which I thought was like, wow, you know, that's that's just that's, that sums him up. So very, very tough to work with at times when you weren't doing your job properly or it wasn't at the high, incredibly high standard he expected. But also very, very, uh, you know, he would reward you in terms of, he would just do little things you thought, wow, you know, he, he, he thinks something of you and, and you, you strive to do your best for him. He was a genius, Paul. I mean, I still keep in touch with him. I spoke to him about two weeks ago. Uh, I've got so much time for him. He's, you know, there's been probably a couple of people in my career that have really uh, helped me. He mentioned, he mentioned my uncle, who kind of started off the coaching. But Paul would be the would be clearly one of the biggest influences by a mile. Um, these days, you're working in a very important role within the Liverpool Academy. But we'll probably easiest just to go back to the beginning, as you say, and you mentioned your uncle there. What's your background in, in football and you get into coaching I mean did you have much for a playing career or was it kind of a, a kind of an academic route into the game how, how did you end up in coaching uh that's a good good question so um, when I was younger I was pretty decent at, at a different sport you know I was, I was one of those kids who was kind of like could take to any any sport and get quite good at it quite quickly and never get really 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 good uh I got to a decent level in a different sport but always like love football uh and at 16, probably from 16 onwards, really decided that that was going to be what I was, what I was really interested in and what I really wanted to do. So I started doing a little bit of coaching with my uncle. I realised I was, I was OK, but I was never going to be a professional player. And then I went to university and did sports science. And if I'm being honest, spent well, I spent more time working and, and, and doing stuff for the football club there than I did, did on my degree. Uh, but while I was there, again, just spent all, 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 as much time as I could coaching. And when I left university... It was the same. So I was literally coaching uh, on soccer schools. Uh, I coached Sheffield University's uh, men's team uh, with my uncle. Uh, so I would be coaching five, six nights a week and, and, uh, and the weekends as well. So I just threw myself into that. So uh, I just get, I, it's something that I don't see as often nowadays. I just absolutely took myself into doing as much coaching as I could do. And clearly, I had, I, had, I had an academic side of me as well, although I didn't do great in my, in my degree. Uh, <laughs> But that probably helped in terms of like Paul, like like Paul said, Paul kind of brought me in. I, I kind of ran the schoolboy section from the coaching viewpoint, but helped him a lot with the kind of administration, the whole of the whole setup, and kind of take that off him because he was just he's still like one of the best coaches I've I've seen work you know, by, a, by a mile. He's still right up there, and that's twenty whatever nearly, nearly thirty years down the line. You know, he's still right up there at the top. So. Uh, yeah, the football came from that, and then the professional, the professional side of it in terms of getting into clubs. I worked at Barnsley for a couple of years part time. Again, my uncle, my uncle got me into it because I was coaching so much with him. Uh, and then, then we moved to Leeds United and did, and did two years there. Uh, and then that's when I became full time. But I, I've probably done six or seven years of absolutely full on coaching with kids before mm. I became full time at Forest. That was that was kind of the route into it. Uh, what was the other sport? Out of curiosity. You were good at, uh, yeah. I, I did tennis, which is strange for a working class boy from Sheffield, yeah, because uh, it's quite a middle class, upper class sport. But my, uh, I, my dad used to drag me along on a Saturday. He played for a for a place called Firth Park in Sheffield. Which, if anybody knows where Firth Park is, it's it's a it's a rough and ready part of Sheffield. And but they had a they had, they had a tennis team, amazingly, of all these working class people. So I kind of got into that because he dragged me along. Uh, and I was decent at it, so I kind of like I, I, you know, I went. I was kind of a level below in terms of playing for Yorkshire, although I did play for them once. Uh, but football was kind of the thing that I loved doing the most. But like any sport, if you if you 
if you do it and you want to get good at it, you, you do it properly. So as a kid, I was like five, six nights a week or five, five nights a week and, and weekends doing that. Uh, it's only when I got to 60 when I thought, ah, this is not this is not probably going to be for me. I'm not going to be good enough at this. That I, I, I took myself back into kind of my first love football. So what is it about coaching that you, um, what that engaged you there? More specifically, I suppose, about working with kids. What, what, what has driven you to, you know, stay in that for, like you say, 30-odd years? It's been a long career already for you. Yeah, I guess there's two parts to that. One is, like, the coaching in terms of football. I mean, I just, like I say, I love football. Uh, I was pretty, I was and still am obsessed by it. Uh, and I realised, like I said very earlier, I wasn't going to play professionally. I wasn't going to be good enough to play professionally. So the, the, the next best thing, next best thing, is coaching. And I thought, uh, I'm, n- I'm never going to have that background of a play behind me. But if players are going to be uh, retiring at 35, then I've got 17 years of coaching I can do in that time. So that's going to give me an advantage there. And then, I guess at that time, like a lot of like a, a lot of young people, you'd probably go. Oh, be great to be a manager one day although I never I never kind of thought that way because I never thought you know I, I was just just doing it because I loved it uh but the longer I've done this job uh the more really I'm enthralled by the development side of it I guess if you look at the first teams they're very rarely there for very long uh and it's pretty much about a performance at the end of the week I really enjoy seeing the development of, of players over a period of time which you're only ever going to get in, in an academy uh so even when I did my UEFA pro license uh seven or eight years ago and really that's to managing that's that's allows you to manage in the Premier League people would ask why are you doing it and I said I just want to learn I just want to get better and people were kind of a bit surprised that well I thought you're doing this because you want to be a manager and I've, that's never really been a goal for me past the age of 16 17 because you know, like I say you, you, there's an awful lot of long-term satisfaction in seeing young people whether they become footballers or not develop and, and that's what I enjoy um what makes a good coach then? I suppose it's a different between coaching a senior player and coaching an eight-year-old. Obviously, they're not the same thing. But uh, in your experience of the game, especially working with younger kids, what, what makes a successful coach? Uh, well, whether it be young, whether it be eight-year-olds or whether it be senior players, uh, I think there's two things. You've got to know football first. I think obviously the older they get, the more important it is you actually know the game. Uh, but then it's actually knowing them as individuals, them as people, and what what makes them tick. I've learned that more and more as I've got older. I think I'm a lot better at that now in my last 10 years than I probably was in the first 10 or 15 years where you kind of get quite teamy about stuff. Uh, but knowing them and how they learn and what kind of like floats the boat, as it were, that's going to get them to progress on to the next step. And also understanding that uh, you haven't got all the answers, and that's quite difficult for coaches sometimes because we want to help so understanding that, you know, they'll, they'll be better than you. A young Andy Reid, for example, at 14, and obviously Reid is still there now. I, I always used to watch uh, Paul's interaction with Andy and uh, found it really interesting because Reid would really stand up to to, to Paul. Uh, very, very strong, strong-minded and strong-willed. And he'd be a very different kind of p- uh, player uh, development to, say, a, a Michael Dawson, who was like the, just like, uh, just a top, top kid and really was a top kid by the way but Michael was kind of a sponge whereas really was much more much more old in his thinking in terms of this is what I am you couldn't you couldn't you couldn't operate with those two players in the same way it just wouldn't work uh so knowing football I guess is you're not going to get anywhere if you don't know actually actually the game but understanding the understanding the kids how they learn what's best for them and actually understanding having a bit of humility and going actually I don't they know a bit more than me about this or my idea of the game isn't necessarily going to fit with their idea of the game. It's really, it's, it's a really, it's, I can bang on about it for a long time because it, it still fascinates me. It's still, you know, I'm still, you never, you never get where you want to be in terms of knowing that because kids keep changing and what, what, what floats the boat is different for some kids and other kids. And, and inevitably on the way you make mistakes. And I guess probably the older you get, you just probably make a few less mistakes. Yeah, if we talk more about your time at Forest in general, you mentioned Reed and Dawson. Obviously, went on to Spurs and had stellar careers. I guess if I try and read off a few more, and you can correct me if I'm missing anyone, I guess there would be Genus, and then moving into you know Prutton, Wes Morgan, Bamford, Lascelles, Darlow. Am I missing anyone there? Players that you've worked with? Well, there's quite a few over that 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 period. Yeah, on that. Yeah. The, the, the early stage, we you know. Uh, 
and and this is I mean I came in doing the schoolboy section to be fair mm-hmm. as, from a coaching perspective. So I mean Paul and and, and Steve Wigley, but Paul in particular obviously deserve all the credit for for those boys as obviously the boys on top. But you know you like to Gareth Williams and Marlon Harewood. So I was very fortunate that when I first came there, uh, a lot of those players ended up playing for the first team. Just to see that development of young players going into the first team, I, I, I still remember Reedy's debut against Sheffield United. I think he scored. We won two 0 uh, but the, but I was kind of looking at that from because they were a little bit older. I was kind of looking at that and just learning from seeing them do things. I think Dorse was a little bit younger, so Michael would be coming on a train from uh, North Allerton every Friday, and, and I'd, I'd be picking him up at the train station and looking him after him over the weekend. And, and myself and Steve Wigley would often spend the pre-seasons looking after them in the in the National Water Sports Centre. That that some of those boys, so they'd be the earliest set. Prutz would be one of them, and then. Really, that next 16 years, every, every player that came through, obviously, I would have had some kind of input in. Uh, so all those players you mentioned, and, and there'll, be, there'll, be, there'll be quite a few more as well. I guess they're all different characters, different levels of ability. Um, is there something about every player that means they, they make it? I suppose I'm angling. I've asked this question to a lot of people. Is there more? Does it take more than technical ability to make a professional footballer at any decent level? I think so. What we spoke about here quite a bit is, uh, I mean, the, the standard FA model is this kind of four corners and it's technique, technique and, and the tactical ability, the decision making that they have, the mentality side, which is which is incredibly important. That often uh, in any sport kind of separates the top ones from the ones that aren't top. And many very super talented players won't make it because the mentality is not quite right. And then the physical attributes, I guess. So others, a combination of all those four things. What I do think is that. Uh, the technical attribute, and this is what we say at our place, kind of has to match it with their physical attribute and probably can describe that best as Lionel Messi, who's an unbelievable manipulator of the ball, if he's not quick over five yards, probably isn't going to be Lionel Messi, probably isn't going to be that good uh, because his, his technical super strength is ball manipulation. And he's got many of them, by the way, that's one of them. Uh, <laughs> if he was slow, we'll just he wouldn't be able to do what he does. So there have been many talented players that perhaps won't quite make it because they quite ha- just haven't had that physical attribute to match up with their their technical attribute and how they think about the game and how they play. Uh, so that that's that's quite fascinating because you can help with the physical attribute, but you can't really, you know, that tends to be much more genetic. Uh, we can probably help more, much more with the technical side of the game. Uh, so. Just that in itself, all these things that interact the mentality side of it and, and, and the technique and how they think about the game, the decision-making they make, all these things kind of interact. That's why there isn't a, do you do this and this will happen at the end of it. Uh, you can only control some of those things. And, you, and, and, and I guess the best youth developer I've seen, which obviously Paul would be right up there, create opportunities for those things to kind of come together and coach the areas that, that they can affect that are going to really help them become players and maybe look at the things that maybe stop them becoming players and, and work it, work on that side. I think the less experienced uh, will tend to just try and do everything or not really think not really think deeply enough about all those interactions uh, and players sometimes fall off, fall off the uh, fall out of the wayside because of that. How much of it is about moulding them as young men then in terms of focusing on, you know, their football, but also uh, at Forest now, there's this thing about they've got to be good people. And I assume that was very much a trait where you, when you were there and where you are at Liverpool now, how much of your time as a coaching staff then and now is spent on, you know, moulding young people? Well, this is a conversation I was having with Paul about a month ago because I think Paul as well as his unbelievable knowledge of football. And like I say, coaching-wise, I still haven't seen anybody better. I've seen one or two that are as good. I still haven't seen anybody better. Uh, he was so strong on this, so strong on, 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 on standards, on being good people. People sometimes think they're a bit old-fashioned, you know, old-fashioned values. I don't think they're old-fashioned values. I think they're eternal values. So I think that's really, really important. What... As time's gone on, particularly, and as society's changed a little bit, uh, what I've probably learned to do a little bit is kind of like those kids that are like you, that you can clearly understand straight away, uh, this is the way to kind of create that. As I've got a little bit older and I've and I've worked with different types of players, 
I've sometimes realised that the kid who you perhaps think, oh, he's a little bit of a so-and-so, I'm not sure I can do that. It's, it's, it's maybe my interactions or the staff's interaction with him that isn't isn't helping him with that. It, so probably a less of a one-size-fits-all approach to developing kind of character and being a good person is, is something I've kind of learned as I've got older. Uh, that's not to say that there's like compromises on certain values that you have with the kids, but I think it's massive. You know, I think it's massive. And anybody who's seen and uh, anybody who's seen any interviews with, for example, Trent at our place, uh, would would have to say what an outstanding young person he is. But you know, having watched and I'm, I'll give Alex Inglethorpe and Neil Critchley, our, you know, Neil Chris is now manager of Blackpool. All you know, the credit credit for this, I, I would I would I wouldn't have any uh, say on any of that sort of stuff. But I thought uh, Trent was difficult to work with sometimes. Trent, you know, Trent was uh, because he he just was just such a winner, so demanding of being successful that when he wasn't, he found that quite tough. And those two people I've mentioned there uh, kind of helped him with that. But if you just walked in the door and saw Trent at his worst when he was training and things were going go, weren't going his way, you'd think, mm, I'm not sure about him as a person. Actually, he's an outstanding young man. Uh, so I think as I've got older, I've perhaps, perhaps learned a little bit more about tailoring how I am with with those kids. Hmm. Getting the best out of them in that way. There's a there's a the boy now in, in one of our younger age groups now who, who who most people if they walked through the door a year ago would describe him as not a very nice kid, and now he's probably our nicest kid. Uh, I, I think it's massive. I think it's massively important. So when you speak to people about coaching, specifically, if I can get my words out, sorry, it strikes me as a job that's. You know, obviously a lot of it's on the grass, but it sounds more and more like you're not you're not a social worker, obviously, but you have to do stuff outside the nine to five hours. And is there an element of just being a psychologist as well of, of understanding the mentality of people? A hundred percent, because this is a tough industry. This is a really tough industry. Uh, your average child, let's say they go down an academic route, uh, you know, they're going to come out of university at 21 if they go straight into it, maybe 22, 23. They don't really need to grow up till that age. Well, somebody like uh, Andy Reid uh, or a Michael Dust, any of those real, the player, the, you know, the real top performers that, that we've had at Forest and, and, and that they've got now, they're playing, they're playing massive games in front of big, big crowds at the age of 17 and 18. So Trent at our place makes his debut at, at Old Trafford. That's not a normal thing to do for a 70-year-old boy, 18-year-old boy playing for, for 75,000 people are all absolutely screaming for his blood because he plays for the, you know, the enemy. Uh, so you can't, the approach has to be a little bit different. Uh, and when I talk about Trent being a nice, nice lad or any of those on doors being a nice lad, they had a... They have, they had, or have got a steely determination. They they can be nasty when they need to be nasty. They've got to be unbelievably psychologically robust to deal with all those people screaming and shouting abuse at them. Uh, senior players who are not bothered how old you are, they just want to win. Mm. Uh, so I think developing that side of them is huge. And like I said to you earlier on, in any sport, any walk of life, the top top people tend to be a little bit different in the way they think. Uh, so you have to understand that, you know, and you have to you have, you have to understand that, and you have to sometimes change the way you think. And again, that's probably one of the biggest things I've learned of like having a set of standards, and we've all got to be like this. And actually, there are different routes to get to that for those kids. Uh, you know, so some big lessons from 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 our forest days, really, with 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 some of those boys. You know, we 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 started to get one or two boys from London at the back end of my time there. We had a kid called Morgan Ferrier who played in the youth cup team that got to the semi-final and got beat on penalties. And Morgan was, you, you, you couldn't, you couldn't kind of like tell Morgan off, criticize Morgan in front of his friends, in front of the rest of the group. You could absolutely really get into him on his own. Mm. But if you did it for his group, because of the background he was from, that was really, he, he just couldn't cope with that. So learning those sort of things, you see, he's still going to get told he's not doing the right thing, but just in a slightly different way to get him to where he needs to be. I think that's what the best the best people do. Um, one question about trends, because I want to pick up on that one thing, even though this is a Forest podcast. I'm just interested to know, I mean, how much of it is uh, giving them the tools to deal with the expectation and the pressure then? Because Liverpool's just like a, this, this juggernaut. So like you say, you go from playing in the under-18s or 17s to suddenly you're playing at Old Trafford, 
the media is going to pick you apart. Social media is going to pick you apart and write very nasty things about you, especially if you're a black kid like Trent, unfortunately, um, the way the world sadly is at the moment. I mean, do you bear that in mind that you have a duty to try and give them the tools to deal with that? Or is that more the responsibility of say, oh, pass it on to Jurgen Klopp or someone else? No, I think it's an integrated approach. I mean, listen, mainly it's down to the boy. It is a little bit different here uh, uh, because there's just so much interest. I mean, these kids will be used to playing on TV. I know it's only LFC TV, but the under-18 games, under-23 games are on telly, on, on our channel. It's kind of, the, the, they get more exposed to, to, to that at a young age. And they also get more exposed to social media in terms of followers. I mean, Liverpool's a, like a global brand. And I think, you know, particularly my early days at Forest, where we weren't that far off. We only started 20-odd years from being European champions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, this place is just so big that, you know, when a player signs at even at 14, 15, 16, we have to be really careful. We have to do a lot of education around their social media accounts because if it gets out that they're Liverpool, they suddenly go from having 20 followers to having like 10,000 followers. So there's an exposure earlier here. Uh, but we have got, you know, we've got, a big team, you know, it's, it's in terms of staffing, it's not really comparable to my time at Forest in terms of the people that are here. Uh, player care managers are just doing that. Social media people are just doing that. So they get a lot of education, but it's still tough. It's still tough. I mean, Trent, Trent's family are, I think, huge, huge in his background. His mum, Diane, is you know, a very, very strong person. He's got a very, very good uh, network away from here. Uh but sometimes, uh, on top of all those things, it's just been exposed to it, and it's not sink or swim because they do get a lot of support and a lot of help. Uh, but there's still an element of that because we can't kind of like control everything that they're going to hear. Uh, they just get probably exposed to, to to things a little bit more than my time at Forest in terms of that coverage, in terms of the interest in them, in terms of maybe a little bit of abuse. But the, the, the social media people at our place are very, you know, are very on top of all that sort of stuff. How much has the game changed then? I mean, obviously, you know, you start at Barnes and you end up at Liverpool. They're, they're bigger clubs, but do you sense from working within the game that it's, it is a, not a different sport because football's the same, but it's just so big now, isn't it? Football. How, how much, what's the evolution been in your career? Uh, the biggest thing was when I first started, kids were signing at 13 and 14 on, on, on what would be called the old schoolboy forms. 14, really. Uh, we've got Steve Highway still working at our place. Uh, and uh, Steve obviously worked with the likes of your Gerard, your Carragher, your Fowlers, your Michael Owens. I mean, we're all blown out of the water by the players he worked with. Uh, but they were only doing like an hour a week at a local gym with the club when they were younger. Uh, and at 14, that's when they kind of came in. It became a little bit more, it became more serious. They were almost kind of like then proper Liverpool players. And I look now and... Uh, I'm not sure this is a good thing, but I'm pretty sure it's not a good thing. You know, the competition for boys of five and six years of age is massive. Mm. Uh, And I'm pretty convinced that isn't a good thing. Uh, So certainly recruitment's changed quite dramatically. The boys are in the academy system a lot, lot longer. Uh, And because of the EPPP, which for those who are aware of that, is the elite player performance programme that the Premier League have put in. There's many, many good parts of that, but there's also some kind of side effects in terms of there's a lot more people in youth development now. And if you do have a first-team slant on the way you run things rather than a than a play development stance, it's very, very easy to try and create unbelievable in the nine under ten teams rather than looking at who you know working with individuals and what's right for them over-professionalising things miles too soon, uh, I think can be a really, really big problem. I think we do a pretty good job at our place. And mm. I know that Gary at, I know that Gary at Forest, you know, does a terrific job in terms of exactly, she kind of shares the same visions and views as we do. Uh, in this area in particular, I mean, this is probably the toughest part of the of the, of the country to work, work in because you've got four giant clubs separated by like 40 minutes of motorway uh, all competing for players, and 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 we're quite obviously we can't we can't sign players from the north from the Irish Sea. Uh, there's nobody in there, and uh, North Wales is quite sparse, so we're all kind of competing heavily for a certain set of players, and it is tough. And I'm not sure that's a good. I'm not sure that's a 
particularly positive thing. We have to work really, really hard to keep our young kids uh, as grounded and make it just as fun an experience as possible. Mm. The other thing I'd say that has is, is, is changed uh, because of that move from from signing boys at 14 to signing players now, signing them at eight years of age, but actually they're in the system from five and six. Some of them are hardly playing grassroots football. I mean, we're quite strong believers at our place that uh, we would we would love it if our our under nines and tens, under elevens and twelves could still play grassroots football, play with the friends, still you know still keep that social background. If if, if clubs aren't this is a massive change. Well, if clubs aren't careful, the kids' lives can revolve around the football. And if you have parents who kind of kind of living the dream for the kids and putting even more pressure on them, that's a recipe for mental health issues. Uh, so we, I know we work really, really hard in terms of trying to it not be too professional too soon. I think that's quite a worrying trend over the last 10, 15 years. When I first started at Forest, we were kind of like signing boys. We were putting our the nine and the ten teams together, really from grassroots locally, mm-hmm. uh, and getting to know them as they played for us. Now the kids, you know, we know these kids inside. Perhaps been with us for three or four years, and also probably been to Manchester City, Everton, Manchester United for three or four years. Uh, and if and if people aren't careful, those kids can just be living the football dream. When the reality is, is so few of them are actually going to make it. So. The, the overall kind of like diet that those kids are getting at that young age, I, I think is a problem. I think it's a real problem. Uh, and it's and it, and it could lead to some mental health issues down the line. I think we do a pretty good job of trying to uh, trying to allay those any fears that any parents have around that by, by the way we interact with our kids and by the way our programme is set up. But that's probably the biggest change in terms of the kids itself. Uh there's a lot more staff in the clubs. So when when I first started with Paul, there was really, in terms of coaches, full-time coaches, there was really Paul and Steve Wigley dealing with the 19s and 17s. Me, kind of Central Excellence Director, dealing with the 9s to 60s. And everybody else was part-time. So the messages that came from the full-time staff to the kids were so tight. We all, you know, they were going to be the same messages. Well, at our place now, we've got full-time coaches of pretty much every age group. So getting those messages to be kind of the same uh, it is much harder because rather than having three coaches kind of like putting those messages across, you've now got like 10, 12 mm. coaches and then you've got the sports scientists and then you've got the analysts and the fitness coaches and the education officers and the player care people, the welfare people, and they all have the best intentions with the kids but are all trying to help them. But if if one person's saying, well, you should be doing this and another person's saying you should be doing something else, you've got a problem because the kids get get confused. Uh, so that's a huge change in youth development as well. Uh, in many ways, it can it can be better if done properly because there's more support for the children. But if that's not managed correctly, that can be a real issue. That can be a real issue, particularly if you get Nick Marshall when he first joins Forest, who's young, enthusiastic, keen, really wants to help, but hasn't really got the knowledge, hasn't been around long enough to kind of get that. So what you do with this kid is different from what you do with that kid. And you've got 10 of those all trying to help. Wow, that must be a confusing place for kids and parents. Hmm. Uh, what, what's the role of a parent, whether it's at Liverpool or Forest or Forest Green or whatever? I mean, you've got, I, I suppose, some parents are going to think their boy's the next Stephen Gerrard or, you know, uh, Joe Worrell or whatever. What's the role of a parent to try and get the best outcome for their kid? Because, like you say, most of them aren't going to make it, are they? Well, look, I've got an eight year old who's uh, a little bit like me in terms of like, does everything. And, and, and it's quite good at everything, but he's actually, actually very good in one. He's actually very good at cricket. Uh, and I'm so careful with him. I'm so careful with him. He, he plays football as well, and I, and I hardly say anything to him. I hardly say a word to him. It's the odd thing every now and again. So as a parent now, uh, and I think that's really important as well in terms of in terms of this job, something else I've learned uh, more recently is actually when you become a parent yourself, you kind of I, I kind of can much more empathise with with parents you know i've definitely had run-ins with parents or run-ins with parents that now i get on very very well with uh and i can empathize more with 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 what they said and how, how concerned they were and of course they're, they're only probably going going through it with a one child and now i've seen i don't know thousands of kids go through you've, you've probably got a bit more experience but and you've got the empathy i i think a parent's job is to support their kid and make sure they're happy uh, I think there's got to be a realism about how tough this industry is. 
and how difficult it is. Uh, but su- but supporting a dream is is good. I, what I would say is, <laughs> I'd be lying if I didn't say I haven't seen some parents have been quite uh, demanding of their children. Those kids then go on and be successful. So I do think it's you know it's individual to the kid. Uh, there's not like again, it's not a one size fits all approach to to being a parent with your boy. Uh, but if they don't enjoy it, or they're or they're or they're not beginning to find it tough because of you as a parent, I think you've got a massive problem because you're not only going to stop them being footballers, you're also going to potentially cause problems, you know, down the road with them. So if you've got a kid who just like completely like buys into it all and is so focused and kind of you can push him a little bit, that's I guess that's fine if you know your kid's better than than than, than any coach will do. But you've got to be very very careful. I think really really hard before you make that call. You know, uh, I think Brennan Johnson, who's obviously in the first team there, I remember going around to to, to uh, Dave's house when when he was under ten, and uh, and I think Tyler Walker was probably quite similar as well at, at ten years of age. Uh, they were kind of really nice kids, and and they just developed in a different way. I think if you'd have really pushed them at that age, I know the, those neither of those parents did that. You have caused real problems with them. Whereas maybe another ten year olds, probably maybe. I've got no idea. I'm obviously what's around them, but maybe Stephen's parents, Stephen Gerrard's parents, might have been different. I, I honestly don't know. Uh, maybe it could have worked for that person, mm. but certainly the key thing for a parent is to support the kid. The difficult with difficulty with football, of course, is everybody's an expert. Everybody watches Match of the Day. Everybody watches Sky. Everybody listens to Gary Neville and, and Jamie and thinks they know more. Uh, that's the different from other sports. So when you when you when I take my boy to other sports, you don't see any parents say a word because they haven't got a clue. Uh, you know, if you take them to gymnastics or something. Nobody's been going on. Why are you doing that that way? That's not right because they don't know. Mm. Uh, of course, at football, everybody thinks they know. <laughs> everybody knows. Everybody could be a Premier League manager. I'm, of course, I'm exaggerating it. Uh, so a bit of yeah, su- su- supportive parents. I mean, Michael Dawson's parents, for example. Wow, you know, if you could, if I could write a manual on how to be a parent for a young aspiring footballer, then Michael's mum and dad, who obviously had they had three footballers, mm-hmm. uh, uh, all play professional football, they'd be they'd be right up there. They'd be right up there. But there isn't there isn't a manual, and there isn't one way. That's the do beauty you, of property. Do you think it helps? Uh, you talk about. Brennan and Tyler and Dorse, who's from a football family, like you say, does it help that their parents either know the game or played the game? Does that give Brennan an advantage, do you think? Now, that's a really good question. And and I, I, I would say that's quite individual as well. Mm. So I have I've come across people who have been ex-players, who's, who have had kids, uh, who actually, and who am I to say, Wow, what you're doing with them? That's you know, you're kind of like looking at your route through the system and kind of like going, that's the route it should be for your boy, because they haven't got the perspective. I have seen that, but I've also seen some unbelievable examples. And clearly, knowing the game and knowing football is going to give them a massive advantage. Uh, but we all make mistakes as parents, and I've definitely seen parents make mistakes, uh, whether they be non-professional footballers or like top top footballers. Uh, so I, would, I guess it gives you the easy answer is it, it probably gives them an advantage, but it isn't. Yeah, you know, I've seen that work the opposite. Do you think there's one other thing I was going to ask you about players and player development? Is there more patience now around just players in general? I suppose physically, there's always this. I don't know if it's a misnomer or not. Oh, Messi would never have made it in England because he's too small, and that that kind of thing. I guess Brennan was probably a scrawny kid who you know might not have been as physically developed as other kids, and now he's arguably going to be Forrest's best player have you seen an evolution of that now that means a Harvey Elliott can play in the first team at 18 at Liverpool or whatever maybe in the game maybe in the game but not not necessarily in my experiences you know I, I was never told by Paul we just want big kids mm. you know, we, you know Andy, Andy Reid wasn't big <laughs> uh, so you know, we had a few like that we you know quite a few players in, in, in that mould you know the best example of that, I guess, is Ben Osborne. You know, born in August, so he's a late developer because the way the, we, we, the, the way football works is same as school, so it works off the school academic year. So Ben would be an August birthday, born right at the back of the year, was a dot all the way through. He's playing in the Premier League. You know, so no, no, you know, 
in my experience, that hasn't always been the case. I would just say the same things what I said to you earlier on. Their physical attributes have to match up to their technical attributes. So I think Ben would have, if Ben wasn't technically really, really good uh, in his receiving techniques are excellent and his passing techniques are excellent and he can get out of tight areas, they probably wouldn't have had a career. He's not going to be a, he's never going to be centre half, is he? Or he's never going to be a centre forward who holds the ball up. But his technical attributes matches physical attributes. So it's a little bit old fashioned, and there are plenty of people who are old fashioned and wanting big kids uh, to think that way. Well, they also, the other thing I'd say is, is I think you mentioned as well, is just because they're small now, they're going to be small later on. Mm. Their physical attributes often don't develop until they're much older. So, I mean, Alex, who's our academy manager at, uh, at Liverpool, was at Tottenham and, and had Harry Kane at 14. And he would talk about Harry Kane being a short, kind of dumpy kid who couldn't run. Well, they didn't get rid of him, <laughs> you know, and he's turned out all right. Yeah, not bad, yeah. Because he was technically, so I'm told, like uh, uh, just a great technician and his mentality was unbelievable towards practice and getting better. Uh, and they'd seen him when he was a little bit young and they thought, well, actually, he's not always going to be like that. So perspective around those things, that's what that's the advantage of having boys in when they're younger, I've got to be honest, if you, if you do it properly. Uh, when they get to... 12, 13, 14, and they go through puberty and, and things can change. And, and Patrick Banff is a classic example of that, by the way, which I'll tell you about in a minute. Uh, if you've seen them before and kind of know, well, it was like this at that time, so we just have to wait and see what it's been like at the other time. Don't make decisions too early and give them time to develop. Then I I, 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 I refuse to believe that Messi wouldn't have been Messi if he'd have been in, in, in England. I think it depends who he was. He'd have been Messi if he'd been with Paul. Let's play. I mean, this might lead into Bamford. I was going to ask you, were there players at Forest that you thought, even at 10 or 11, yeah, definitely going to make it, being the first team by their 18? And were there players at Forest who were 14 and 15 and you thought, absolutely no chance, and they, they go on and surprise you? Uh, another good question. Another good question. Uh, I don't think I ever thought at a young age that this player's nailed on to be a top, top player. I think those players are once in a lifetime once in a generation. So there are a few people at our place that, are, that are, have got a bit of experience behind them. So I, I'm nearly 30 years now in, in youth development and and, I, and the kind of manager, Alex Inglethorpe, who used to be at Tottenham under 18s, he's been in it for over 20 years. And then you've got people like Steve Highway, who's been in it for like 40, 50 years and worked with some, like I said before, some unbelievable players. And, and we, we, we had this discussion not so long ago and it was like, well, the only player any of us have known before the age of 15, that this kid's going to be a top player, not me, not Alex, is uh, Michael Owen with Steve oh, okay. and Gerald. He was the only one he knew is going to be a top, he's just going to make it. Mm. So not Stephen Gerrard, not Robbie Fowler. Not I Stephen thought you were going to say Gerrard. I thought he's going to say Gerrard. No, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to tell you what Steve said. So in terms of being a top player, the only one any, any of us absolutely knew was going to be a top, top player uh, is Michael Owen. So, uh, you might get a Wayne Rooney come along at 10, 11, people go, wow, this player's going to... So I think there are generational players like that. Uh, but I, I haven't come across that. I haven't come across that, you know. You think you, well, this player's got the ability and potential to potentially be a really, really good player, but so many things have to fit into place. You know, how they are as kids, what what's going on in the, in the background that you, you don't know. Uh, are they get, will they get the opportunities? Will they get the opportunities to play at the right time in the first team? I and mean, that's a massive thing as well. You know, um, there's been plenty of players that have kind of fallen by the wayside because we call it the black hole at our place. They kind of like don't get the opportunity when perhaps they're ready for it. And then a year or two down the line, they're mentally and psychologically a little bit scarred, a little bit weary about it. And it's always rubbish here and all this sort of stuff. And they fall into the black hole rather than keeping going and keeping going until their opportunity comes. Many, many talented players have, 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 have fallen down that trap. Uh and I've been surprised by players as well. I've been surprised by players who I thought, I, I would never have thought that this kid would have had the career he's had. That's that's certainly happened. I've never been surprised by somebody who's gone on to be a top, top player. There's certainly been a few surprises of players I thought, wow, you know, you've 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 done a lot better than I thought you would have done. And often that's because of this up here, the mentality of the boy uh, and, and the opportunities that you've managed to have come at the right time for them. Uh but the extremes of that, uh, yeah, I've, I've ne- yeah. You, you'll, it's much easier to say, of course, uh, you know, a young player, I think it's going to be really tough for him. I'm not sure he's going to be going to be a player. It's much easier to do that. And, of course, just statistically, you're going to be right 99 times out of 100 because 
that's just the statistics of what happens anyway. Most of them aren't going to be players. So it's, it's very, very easy to prove yourself right on that one. Uh, and actually, you've got to work really hard to stay quite open-minded about the kids to kind of like, when you do have that opinion, try and prove yourself wrong. Hmm. Uh, but the but the elite, the ones that go on to be elite, uh, you know, Jermaine Genius at our place, I think everybody thought he was going to be a really good player. Uh, everybody thought he was a really good player and, and and another one with an unbelievable mentality and attitude and just what what a great lad, but a winner. I remember driving a minibus down to Norwich with JJ uh, and he was under 16 and he played the under 15s because we, we didn't have enough players and we had a, we got, I think we only had 12 players. We got an injury straight away. JJ was the best player on the pitch by a mile. Still attitude and everything, unbelievable. So you always thought something like him at 16, you've got a better idea. You've got a better idea at 16 of, but not not before 14, not in, not in our experience. And I would definitely bow down to somebody like Steve Highway's experience, given the amount of time they were in the game, the players they work with. Uh, so yeah, I think I think it's tough to to say too soon. They're going to be this or they're going to be that. I think that's part of a patience is part of being a, a youth developer. And again, that's something you don't get in first team football, which is probably why I quite like being here. Um, what happened with Bamford then? Because as a Forest fan, it always felt like he was going to make it and going to be big for Forest. And circumstances dictated he had to be sold. Did, did, was he a, a top talent? Did you think then? Well, when we sold him, he was an unbelievable talent. Mm. He was an unbelievable talent. I mean, Patrick's story is a, is a fantastic one uh, you know, from from a number of viewpoints. And, and Patrick, what people perhaps don't recognise is Patrick played in a team with uh, another nine team that, that had Jamal Ocells in and Ben Osborne in. You know, there's three players come out of the one team. That's very, very rare, particularly for a club like like Forest, and this, you know, who are a big club, but not like a, an unbelievably massive club. Uh, to get three players playing in the Premier League out of one team is is, and to go all the way through the system, like those three boys did, is is some kind of a, some achievement for those kids. Wow, uh, really, really, you know, happy for that for those boys. Patrick's an interesting one because Patrick's a classic one, uh, a bit, a little bit, a little bit like Harry Kane in many ways, in that he'd always been like a really, really good player in the group, and he'd even played up quite a lot as well. And then he got to thirteen, I think it was, and. Uh, had a bit of a growth spurt, lost his legs, which happens load, so just slowed down and lost his lost his lost his touch. And you know, it's a little bit like Bambi on the Bambi on ice, which with Michael Dawson was the same. And we actually had to, or I actually put him back in his own age group, which didn't really go down well at the time. Uh, but I think it was the right thing to do, uh, particularly when you play up front and or playing forward positions where you need some success as well. And then, but by the age of sixteen, he was playing in a. In the in the Premier League final at the Emirates against Arsenal, you know he came on came in, in that game at under sixteen as an under sixteen when we you could play in the nineteens in that team and, and did really really well. Uh, exceptionally bright people talk about Patrick being a bright boy, you know academically and off the pitch and all that. It's, a bit, it's getting a bit boring that that line on Patrick. Patrick was an exceptionally bright footballer, but had it, it wasn't easy for him. He he, he had ups and downs and challenges and. Uh, yeah, myself and his dad had a few run-ins, uh, Russell. But again, Russell always wanting the best for his boy. Uh, kept in touch with him down the line. Uh, and I'm so chuffed. I actually sent a message to Patrick the other day when he got his call up. Uh, I'm so uh, I'm so chuffed for him because he, he deserves it. Did very disappointed when he left, but the reason why. And I think we lost a few players at Forest. Uh, and that if, if it had been a bit more stable at the time, and you know, could have provided a bit more of a background for him to be playing our place, we would have. They would have either really kicked on with the club, or we would have got a heck of a lot more money than we did. But there was no choice in that in that in that case because of the financial situation the club was in to kind of sell him for the money the money we did. But as it's turned out, he's been a just a top top player. Um, Lots of interesting conversations about him. Lots of interesting conversations about Patrick with with people within the game over the last five years. Mm-hmm because of the type of player he is, uh, many people in the game would share the, the, the thought that I guess a lot, of, a lot of the media had and a lot of the Leeds fans that I'm not sure he's going to do it in the Premier League and I'm not sure he's that level where I've always been convinced and I've many an argument with people about, about his ability and the fact that he's just so bright. The higher the level and the better plays he plays with, the better you will see him. 
he's not going to be a barnstorming back to goal, smashing people all around, you know, effective centre forward, which is why a lot of the clubs low, you know, in the championship played him wide in a team that are going to smash the ball up. That's not him. But you put good players around him. He is so bright uh, that he'll be successful. And uh, I'm extremely pleased for him that that's proven to be the case. And let's hope he goes and gets gets a game for England over the next few uh, few weeks. I think he's got a good chance. There's only two strikers in the, in the, in the group. Um, there's two other individuals I want to ask you about before I let you go. So I see the time's ticking on already. It's really interesting stuff. Um, Wes Morgan, we haven't spoken about. Obviously, he's gone on to have this outstanding career and be an exceptional leader. What was he like as a, a kid? Did you see those leadership attributes in him beyond well, his technical ability? Wes is, an, Wes is another fascinating story uh, in that Wes, I'm sure most people rem- uh, will remember, or I hope they do, got, actually got released by Notts County. I think he got released at under 15 uh, for being too big. Uh, and I don't mean too big height-wise. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, as usually in football, you know, you get quite a few people coming out and claiming that they did this with him and he's this and I found him and all that sort of stuff. The story behind behind Wes was he actually, uh, he was playing for, I think he was playing for South Nottingham Schools and we had a coach at the time called Chris Down who sadly, sadly uh, passed away uh, in the last few years. Uh, just said, come on, you need to have a look at this boy. And, and we brought we brought Wes and he trained with Pembo with the with the U team, and we also had a boy at the same time called Simon Francis who who, who, who had a long career in the Premier League for Bournemouth. Yeah, uh, they both came in and we didn't take Simon Francis. That was probably a bit of an error, uh, but we did take Wes, uh, and I, and and this is where Pembo deserves an awful lot of credit, and obviously Paul when he got in the first team in that. Uh, yeah, I don't think he played a game for us for the first nine months because he was. A, being honest, he was overweight and it was almost like we can't let him go in front of Paul looking like this. But but what a good kid. Kid, he was he was like 17 years of age at the time. What a good, you know, what a good person. Uh and uh he really buckled down to it and and, and Pembo really worked hard with him. Uh and he became you know, he became another really top I mean to win the to win the Premier League and captain a team that wins the Premier League, given his journey, wow, what an achievement on uh, on Wes's part. I mean, yeah, fascinating stuff with him. And there's, there is no one way of becoming a footballer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess it, it's interesting as well, you go back to what I said earlier on about like the physical attributes having to match their technical attributes. Well, with all due respect to Wes, he's not Virgil van Dijk, uh, and he's probably not Joe Gomez. But what he is, is incredibly robust as a player. He, you know, he certainly was. He's incredibly robust, could just knock the games out. And you knew what you were going to get from him every single game. Uh, really tough 1v1 defender in tight areas. Uh, so the way he was asked to play, particularly at Leicester in the Premier League, kind of really suited his attributes. Uh, and he became an outstanding leader. It's hilarious because Wes, Wes was all, you know, I, I spoke to David Johnson about, Two or three years ago, I think David was working for Leicester, and he's not changed. He's the same, same, same person, still uh, eating for fun. You know? <laughs> we took him on. We took him on tour to the Dallas Cup. We actually won the Dallas Cup. It was the first time he played, and Dallas Cup's kind of a pretty prestigious international tournament. And Wes went away, and he, yeah, at breakfast he was, you know, he, he's a big fella, and he? he's a big, big guy. He'd been knocking the food back. Wes, you can't have all. You can't eat all that much. You've got a game later on. Uh, not on healthy food, like you know, good food, but he would just he, he just he liked his, he liked to eat, uh, but squeezed every last ounce out of his ability. And to go from really playing for South Nottingham schools and for uh, South Notts College to then become a Premier League winner, he deserves unbelievable credit. And I guess one of the things I probably haven't made clear enough when we have this, when we're talking all, all the way through this, is that often people like me like to claim credit for players. You know, we've spoken about a lot of boys. Patrick Bamford is going to be playing for England, not because of any coach or any academy. But he's playing for England because of, because of him, because of Patrick Bamford. And Wes Morgan had the career because of Wes Morgan. I think we we can help create an environment where they can where they can kind of thrive. Sometimes they've got to be in an environment where it's tough for them because that's what's going to happen to them in professional football as well. But ultimately, the success of players is down to, is down to them. Uh, and Wes is a classic example of that. And what a story he could write. What a, I look forward to reading Wes's book. 
when he uh, when he finishes playing because that will be some story and and some very unconventional route to being a to being a Premier League captain winner. A lot of the players that you worked with have now retired and gone on to be successful. Like Genius is all over the TV and Dorse is all over the TV. <laughs> Prutton's all over the TV. Yeah, yeah. I, I laugh my socks off when uh, I keep turning off. I, I remember him when he was 14. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's, he's presenting the one show. What? <laughs> Does that surprise you? I mean, Andy Reid's back at Forest coaching. Does yeah. that surprise you? And, well, you know, I have a, I've seen Reedy a few times and uh, I do have a chuckle, by the way. I can, I could see JJ doing what he's done. And definitely Dorse and Prutz doing what they do. But if if you'd have told 14-year-old Andy Reid he was going to be a really good coach, I think he would have laughed his socks off. Because he were he was a, a and again I, I've got to be honest, I never coached Andy. That was that was hearty, thank goodness. I was right at the beginning <laughs> of my journey. Uh he was not easy to coach. It's hilarious that all these people who are right, dead tough and dead hard on coaching suddenly become coaches. Hmm. Uh, I'm sure he'll be very successful though because he, he's a very very bright fella really and, and really knows his football and then he's on the radio all the time and he's on Radio 5 all the time I think this goes back to what we said earlier about, about Paul and developing yeah. people you know uh, it wasn't just it, he cared for them deeply as kids they might not have realised it at the time but he, 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 he wanted them to be good people and the skills he developed outside of football uh, were immense, you know. Uh, those four are just, I mean, they're just classic examples of, of what he did, you know. And I, I've met a few of the players since. Uh, Jonathan Woodgate, who actually worked for Liverpool as a as a scout, you know, Woody was at uh, Leeds under Paul. Uh, and they still, you know, I, I one, we, we signed a boy recently from the Birmingham at our place called Callum Scanlon, and, he, and his agent, is a fellow called Lee Matthews who played for Paul in the in the FA Youth Cup game. He, he mentioned FA Youth Cup final, and you talk to you talk to him about his time, and I, you can completely see why he is the way he is. Mm. Uh, and 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 they will refer back to Paul, and that's a that that's been such a massive lesson for me. Um, just a present day Forest question. Obviously, you're not like connected, and you're not embedded in it anymore. But how important is Category One status to the academy? Does it make a big difference? It does in terms of the games program. That's the biggest thing, uh, and I guess from a rec- from a recruitment perspective as well, uh, they've done a brilliant. I mean, Gary's done a brilliant job down there. It's tough, isn't it? You've got you got Leicester and Derby on your doorstep. Have been cat one for a number of years now. Uh, Leicester have invested in an unbelievable training facility, uh, and Derby's training facilities. You know, although it's not it's not it's not new. To be honest, it's probably it's probably bigger and, and, and better than than Forest. Uh, so Gary's done an unbelievable job in kind of maintaining the reputation of the club as as a development club, which it, which it always has been and still is. Uh, and ultimately, whether you cat one or your facilities this or that, the people within the organisation are the most important thing, and the opportunities the players get is the most important thing. So you can be oh, there, there are plenty of cat one clubs who've got wonderful coaches, wonderful facilities, you know, really look after the kids well, but there's no opportunities for the kids to progress when they need to. Opportunity is an absolute key to developing players. And I think Gary's done a, done a terrific job of doing that. He's done, done a great job of doing it when he's been a caretaker manager. He's given many of the young players that have uh, gone and done well their their debuts and kind of kick-started their career. I hope those players uh, recognise that because that, that's really important. So being a category one or category two is kind of far less important than those things. But it does, I guess, from a recruitment viewpoint, give you a certain uh, bit of parity with those two clubs if the parents aren't going to do the homework in terms of, well, actually, Forest were, were category two, but my boy's got the best chance of becoming a footballer and progressing onwards through that, you know. Uh, and then and then the games programme for the for the under-18s and, under, and the development squad is, is significantly better. When I was there and there was no category one, category two, it just the EPP system just came in at the end of my tenure there uh, and, and we, we, we actually I think I had one season as category two maybe two the league we were playing was still very very strong uh, our under 18s and 23s always had a really good games programme but I know that as more and more clubs have gone from category two to category one those games have uh, those get that games programme is nowhere near as good and I know I spoke to Gary uh, a few months ago uh, and he, when he told me we were going to go category one that's one of the big reasons why so I think that's going to help uh, recruitment and 
and the games program but i think ultimately if, if it was my boy and we kind of use the sun rule here in terms of like give you advice you'd give to give to your son if they're in that position uh, if i was a boy in the east midlands I, I would always look at which club develops gives a chance for the boys to develop and have the opportunities to play and who got the best coaches that would go before the category status but i guess that's difficult to find out unless you know football so it will help from that perspective um, a couple of other bits I wanted to touch on. I feel I'm, I'm conscious I'm taking your time, but there's a couple of other things yeah. I wanted to ask. Um, you talk about player development in Forest of this season, given debuts in the League Cup and, and the league, actually, to players like Finn Back, Riley Harbottle, Baba Fernandez, which is, is great. I mean, uh, And then they, last season, they loaned out Brennan, they loaned out Tyrese Fauna. Uh, what's the right thing to do with a player? Like, I, I mentioned to you before we started recording, Harvey Elliott's gone out from Liverpool to Blackburn and now he's in the first team. Trent Alexander-Arnold's constraints to the first team. What's the thought process there, do you think, to get the the maximum return out of a player or the maximum opportunity for a player to be the best they can be? There is no one route. There is no one route. It depends on a number of factors. But oppor- this is the thing that we would say really strongly out there. Opportunity is the key. Uh, if you don't have the opportunity to play the kids at the right time, and that goes all the way down to the younger end, by the way. They need to play in loads of games. That's one of the problems, perhaps, that can happen from kids not playing grassroots football anymore. They might only play for their professional team that they're signed at. And if that club's only giving them, like, two-thirds of a game every week, it's just not enough. And the same same is uh, true at, at senior level. So when a player is ready to play first-team football in an ideal world, that is the time you want to give it them. Now, that might come about in your own team. So I think Trent, well, I don't think I know, Trent's uh, pathway was opened up by the fact that Nathaniel Klein was injured at right-back. Uh, so there was no real right-back because at that time. And then when Joe Gomez came and could potentially play right back because he's a right back as well, centre half and, and, and Trent was having a little bit of a dip in form. Uh, Joe Gomez was injured. So the opportunity arose naturally for him to go into the team and play. And of course he grabbed it with both hands and has just become like an unbelievable player, but that might not always be the case. So if you're a forward at Liverpool and you've got, or let's say you're a you're a wider uh, you're a wide attacker and you've got Mane and Salah in front of you. Well, the chances are the opportunities aren't probably going to come in the short term, but you need exposure. And I guess Harvey Elliott, who went as a wide attacker to Blackburn, got that via a different route. Who's to say that if all those players got injured, that Harvey might have had an opportunity earlier on and, and got in the team and if he'd done well, kept his place. So I don't think there is one route. But what I do think is that you have to create opportunities for kids, whether that be at your club or or a different club on loan. Like I said to you, and I think also Gary has done unbelievably well when he's become... Uh, when he's been taken over as caretaker manager on a few occasions because Gary knows youth development and knows he can trust young players, which not every manager will do. Uh, he's given them opportunities, including the current manager's done the same as well. That isn't always the case. Uh, but the route into it, it depends on the circumstance. But I, I do think that the opportunity, that giving them the opportunity to play when they're ready for it, where, wherever that may be, uh, is, is a massive part of develop, development. We can do all the stuff right up to that age. If they don't get the opportunity at the right time, you've got a, you've got a bit of a problem. And, you, and many players are lost that in that way. So it's, whichever way it is, uh, you've got to do it. Just lastly then, I mean, you're sat, for people who are listening to this, not watching it, you've got the Penny Lane sign behind you. You've got the Liverpool crest on. You might have Jurgen Klopp on the phone to you this afternoon asking about a player. I mean, do you have to pinch yourself that you're the kid from Sheffield who's now got such, you know, your Liverpool's deputy academy manager. Does that ever, you know, grow old for you? Uh, not now. Not now. I think in my first five years at Forest, I was definitely pinching myself every day. I was definitely thinking, what am I doing here? How come I've got this job? I don't deserve to be here. I've not played. Uh, but that spurred me on. I've got to say that, that really spurred me on to try and prove myself and, and work my socks off to to become somebody who would be kind of like, okay, he's here because he's he's all right. He, he can do the job. Uh, I think less of that now because, yeah, I started in 92. So it's nearly 30 years now. That's, you know, my first few four years were part-time. Uh, so I, I don't necessarily think that. I think my route into a club like Liverpool has been, been kind of a good one. I'm not here. It's taken me a long time to get to a club like Liverpool, uh, you know, taking me different routes, 
whether that be you know working for the FA or working for clubs like Forest. Uh, not that there was ever a, you know, this is my ambition to work for a club like Liverpool. It was always just be the best developer I can be. Uh, I don't necessarily think that way now because with, like I say, with 29 years experience and behind me and having seen a lot of plays, there aren't that many people in the game that have done that consistently in the job I do. So I kind of think that, yeah, I probably belong now, but that wasn't always the case. I mean, look, working, you know, you when Stephen Gerrard worked here and you sat next to Stephen Gerrard and talking to him at, at over lunch, you're going, hang on, this is, this is a bit weird. You know, this, this fellow's a top, 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 top player, you know, and, and those top, top ones are a little bit different in the way they think they're really elite, world-class players. So you're still learning stuff every single day and being around those sort of people. Uh, but I don't, I don't so much, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't feel anymore, I'm not pinching myself anymore because I think I've flipping put the hard yards in to, to get where I am. And, and believe you me, at Forest, I I, def, I put the hard yards in. I was there for 16 years, and there was very rarely a week I wasn't working seven, seven days a week and working evenings, because uh, I think that's the way you have to be. So, uh, yeah, not now, not so much. Probably at the beginning, def- definitely. Well, it's been a real pleasure to speak to you, Nick, and I really hope people enjoyed it. As usual, if you did like this, give us a good rating and subscribe on iTunes or YouTube. Uh, we shall be back uh, later in the week with a look ahead to the next Forest game after the international break with uh, Darren Fletcher from BT Sport uh, is back and probably Gary Bertels. Uh, so hopefully everyone enjoyed that. And Nick, thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Always good to talk about Forest. I still... Uh... Keep a close eye on, on results. Still got a lot of friends down there and a lot of, lot of friends who support the club as well. So always a club close to my heart, Matt. Thank you for listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Yeah.